This is LaQuest, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Hi, I'm Don Andrews with Look West. With me today is producer Shoshana Levy. Hi, Shoshana. Hi. Shoshana, you've been looking into wildfires in California, a big part of our lives these days. What'd you find out? Well, I learned that this year has been the worst year for fires in California yet. Um, in 2021 alone, we've had over 7,000 fires and almost 2.5 million acres burned. Uh, many of our Californians have had to evacuate and lose their homes and the heavy smoke has really disrupted every community in California, making it really difficult to go outdoors at times, especially for those with breathing difficulties. So who did you get a chance to talk to about the wildfires in California and the impacts it's having on our lives? Well, we will talk to the chief of Cal Fire, Tom Porter, a little later, but to begin our conversation today, Assemblymember Wood from Northern California and Assemblymember Bloom from Southern California sat down to talk about how the fires have uniquely impacted their communities. They also spoke about Assembly Bill 9, which was just recently signed into law by Governor Newsom and aims to both fight fires and lessen the risk for new ones starting. My name is Jim Wood. I'm an assembly member representing the North Coast, uh, the second assembly district. It's a large rural district uh, that starts in the middle of Santa Rosa and goes to the Oregon border and picks up the, the county of Trinity as well, a very large county that has a lot of federal land on it. Um, I've personally seen the devastation caused by wildfires, uh, lived through uh, the uh, Tubbs fire in Santa Rosa that destroyed overnight uh, over 5,000 homes, uh, killed 20 plus people. Uh, at the same time, had another fire just to the north in my district that killed another eight people. Uh, in the same complex over in Napa killed people as well. That was in 2017. Um, obviously in 2018, we saw the campfire, which was the largest fire uh, for uh, as far as destruction, uh, the number of homes destroyed um, and 85 people died there as well. Uh, we have essentially seen fire uh, for the last, since beginning, uh, significant changes in the fire behavior and, and size and uh, scope since 2015. So today on, on the Look West podcast, we'll be uh, talking about what we hope you can do to help be better prepared should, should a wildfire strike in your community. Uh, we'll discuss some wildfire prevention efforts. Uh, and even though fire season is well underway, uh, we all know that it could last until into the rainy season. Uh, so preparedness and prevention are always uh, critical and should be always on people's mind. Uh, joining us uh, today uh, via Zoom as we're recording this is my colleague uh, from Southern California, Assemblymember Richard Bloom. Richard, how's it going down there, down in the Southland these days? Thanks, Jim. Well, everything is great, except it's uh, pretty hot down here. Um, as you know, Jim, uh, I have, a, uh, for the most part, a coastal district. Uh, but one of the things that makes my district interesting is that I have some of the most densely populated areas of the state, but some very rural uh, areas in uh, uh, the uh, uh, urban uh, wildland urban interface, as, as we call it, where uh, unfortunately uh, uh, wildfires have been all too common as they are in your area. Uh, in uh, the Santa Monica Mountains, immediately adjacent to uh, Santa Monica, Malibu, and uh, Agoura Hills, uh, we have Chaparral, 
that uh, uh, grows very rapidly when we get a little rain and then it dries out very quickly. So our fire season started early here uh, in the area, but it didn't get too bad because there wasn't wind. Uh, our first uh, major fire was in May. It was the Palisades fire. Uh, it only lasted a few days, uh, burned about a thousand acres or so. Had the wind kicked up, we would have had an entirely different situation on our hands. And that's, I think, one of the things that is noteworthy about uh, fire uh, in many parts of California, including your district and mine, Jim, is the uh, dynamics of weather and particularly wind. Uh, in 2017, the Thomas Fire in Ventura and Los Angeles County uh, took one life uh, and about a thousand structures. Uh, then the next uh, year, uh, the Woolsey Fire in uh, Agra Hills and Malibu and the Santa Monica Mountains, uh, there were three fatalities and 1,600 structures were lost. Um, those two fires were very much wind-driven. And uh, I, I think we should take note that the Woolsey Fire started on November 8th and the Thomas Fire started on December 4th. So when we start, when we talk about uh, fire season being year-round now, that's what we mean. Things have been calm so far, even though it's been hot, uh, but we may have uh, events ahead of us that we'll need to pay close attention to. You bring up some really uh, interesting points there. And, that, and I think one of the things that you mentioned was the, just the difference in the, uh, the flora and the fauna of, of Southern California. Uh, I, my district is a, a lot of areas that are uh, wood, oak woodlands, we have people that live in what we call the WUI, which is the wild wildland urban interface. Um, and um, and as you get more incursion into the WUI, the more uh, people that live there, you 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 do also increase the uh, opportunities for uh, a fire to happen. Um, just this year, in one of our counties, uh, on a hot day, someone was mowing at two in the afternoon, and that caused a fire that burned down several homes. You know, and those are the kinds of things that happen. And um, I think that the, the, the concept that we're looking at year round uh, fire uh, is, 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 is here with us. It's, it's the changing climate. It, you, you cannot deny that. It wasn't that many years ago that we, I believe we always felt we had a distinct fire season. And now it feels like it's fire season all year long. So I'm curious, um, you know, in your community, Richard, um, you know, is your, are you, are people prepared uh, in the instance of a fire in their community? And then I'll give you my perspective as, uh, you know, someone from, from up north. Well, I don't think people are as prepared as they should be, and some are more prepared than others, but uh, we know what the steps are uh, that uh, folks can take to provide themselves with maximum protection. Um, and there's help out there also. Uh, and there'll be more help in the in, in the future. Um, I think it's important to point out that in this year's budget, uh, uh, we uh, address the issue of uh, wildfire prevention uh, in a very strong way, in an unprecedented way. Uh, uh, we allocated uh, overall $1.5 billion approximately uh, for those efforts. Um, and uh, about a third of that, 500 million plus, was allocated in what we call early action, uh, which means that the money could, uh, when it was allocated back in, uh, I think it was June, uh, can be uh, 
uh, spent right away. So I know here in the Santa Monica Mountains, there was $12 million that was allocated to the Santa Monica Mountains Conservancy, and they literally put that money in the bank and started their work uh, uh, immediately uh, uh, back in June. Uh, what can individuals do? Well, uh, uh, there are a few things, uh, but uh, most important is uh, making sure that your home is hardened, uh, that you are uh, protecting fire from entering your home and uh, that your home, your home uh, uh, doesn't have a wood shake uh, roof if possible, something that ignites easily. And then also creating a perimeter around your home, uh, making sure that there's no uh, uh, fuel there uh, uh, for a fire to burn that comes through. Uh, we have uh, uh, in our area, and I'm sure that this is true uh, uh, in, in your district, Jim, we have uh, uh, organizations, uh, uh, mostly volunteer organizations that have banded together to do some of this work and uh, uh, to do uh, other uh, preventative, uh, to take on other preventative measures. There's uh, uh, the Topanga Coalition for Emergency Preparedness is uh, one that's in the uh, very uh, well-known Topanga Canyon area. Uh, Topanga uh, reminds me uh, frequently of uh, Boonville uh, in, in your district, a small hamlet, um, uh, well-traveled, well-known by people, uh, but still retains that uh, very small uh, town character, but also uh, pretty much directly in the line of fire for, uh, for the wrong wildfire. So that those prevention efforts are very important. Well, one of the things that, you know, we've talked about is, uh, you know, the fact that we do have a, what appears to be a year-round fire season. And so traditionally what would happen uh, during the off season when firefighters weren't fighting fires is they were actually able to address uh, a lot of prevention concerns in, and during the, during the, the off season, so to speak. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that we're not able to do as, as well now is, is just that. And so, so one of the things that, that a bill that I had this year uh, working on, and it's sitting on the governor's desk as we speak, so I'm always hopeful that it's going to get signed. But in recognition of the fact that, that um, what happens during fire season is that the people in general doing prevention work get pulled off the job to go fight fires, we decided that we needed to figure out a mechanism to try to create a, a subgroup or a force within uh, CAL FIRE to be dedicated uh, solely towards uh, fire prevention efforts uh, and, and work out there. Now, recognizing that in an emergency that those folks could still get pulled away, we want to be sure that in, in most cases that just doesn't happen and so that we can actually get, get some of this work done. But one of the big differences between Northern California, Southern California is the density of population, obviously, the flora and the fauna, uh, also, um, and the way things are organized. So, so you have a large conservancy there. And in my district, we have a lot of uh, fire safe councils. And, uh, and so, so what I want to see, you know, and what I've always pushed is push for, and it's always the pull between north and south, uh, a little bit, um, and or big city and, and rural, uh, is that, um, that whatever we do at the state level, that we hopefully can create some enough flexibility that you can actually use the resources in the way that makes the most sense for your community. 
uh, the one size fits all approach to uh, uh, fire prevention uh, shouldn't exist, uh, doesn't exist, and we shouldn't be putting our resources out there in a way that assumes it exists that way. So, so I couldn't agree with you more, Jim. I think that uh, concept is extremely important. You know, the the right treatment for the right the right conditions is the is the is the key is the key to that. Um, you know, thinking, uh, I'll go back to the preparedness piece of that. I think, I hope people uh, start to think a little bit more about, you know, every family should have some sort of a plan uh, to what happens if, if there's a fire, whether it's a, you're in a densely populated urban area, you should have a, a plan. And a, I know as a kid, you know, I lived in a densely populated area and uh, we had a plan, you know, what was going to happen if the house caught on fire. And um, so people ought to have plans. Um, I think for me, I spent the last uh, twice in the last two years uh, evacuated because of wildfire threatening my home. And uh, it's a pretty harrowing experience uh, to to have to pack up in the middle of the night or, or hop in your car that you've already packed and, and flee in approaching wildfire. And I don't think people realize how quickly uh, that can move. Um, and importantly, doing that preventive work at home uh, to do everything you can to harden, uh, the, that's the word we're using, basically protect your home. Uh, one thing that uh, I, I, that a lot of people don't think about um, is that it's always beautiful to have that shrubbery that's right up next to your home and uh, all those all that planting there. But the reality is that um, we really shouldn't have anything within about five feet of our home. There should be a there should be a space there that maybe you've got rocks or something uh, or, or something or even just bare dirt. but that space, that that foliage right next to your phone home um, can be a huge factor in whether your home survives or not, and we've seen that a lot in uh, in wildfire country. Very true, and uh, the behavior of fires uh, can be very very unpredictable and uh, can hopscotch through neighborhoods. Um, uh, that's why uh, understanding these things that one can do to provide maximum protection are very, very important. And I agree with you, Jim, the uh, importance of having a plan uh, if you live uh, uh, in fire prone areas is extremely important. Um, and uh, I know in uh, uh, some of the areas that I represent, there are actual drills that uh, people participate in. Sometimes the drills are not live drills, but sometimes once in a while they, they actually do a live drill. So people, you know, pack up some things and get in their cars and uh, drive through the evacuation route. Um, I think that uh, when uh, a fire actually happens or there's a, uh, an, an emergency in process, uh, if you've practiced a little, you're gonna be that much calmer and that much more able to uh, uh, weather the storm. Well, I'll throw uh, I'll throw one other variable in here and that you don't do that there isn't as much of this done in in uh, in California as there should be and that's the area around prescribed burns or prescribed fire and uh, you know it's it's challenging because uh, no one wants smoke in the air. Uh, but those uh, fires, if you prepare the land correctly and can get in and remember that fire is a part of our landscape. It has been a part of our landscape since uh, time immemorial. Uh, some of the, the best people to understand that are some of our, our uh, tribal communities. I, I spent some time earlier this summer up in uh, the uh, little community of Orleans in my district, the northeast corner of Humboldt County with uh, a guy named Bill Trupp, 
who is a, a practitioner of uh, cultural fire uh, for his tribe. And, uh, and so they're teaching uh, people about the best way to use prescribed fire. And, um, you know, it's, it's ironic uh, and, um, and, and actually really encouraging that we're going back to people who've been using fire for thousands and thousands of years to learn how to use fire. And so I hope that uh, uh, one of the things I would be pushing for is a, a way they, they bring people up there uh, for a couple of weeks to teach them the techniques of what they're doing. And uh, I'll be push I'll be pushing next year. And just just fair warning, uh, Mr. Bloom, I'm going to be pushing in the budget next year for some some resources for them. Uh, they've got the land. They they want to build a bunkhouse so they can house people up there when they're doing their training. So, but well, uh, I think you'll find a sympathetic ear here. Um, uh, prescribed burns clearly are uh, a tool that uh, uh, done correctly uh, can be a valuable uh, uh, way of of uh, protecting the land from wildfires. Uh, the only caution that uh, uh, that I would add to those comments is that, uh, again, chaparral is very different from uh, uh, woodland forests. And we have to make sure that we are using the right technique, the right strategy um, uh, in uh, uh, the right environment. And uh, uh, that takes a, a, a certain amount of skill. Uh, we do know that our Native American uh, uh, brothers and sisters uh, have uh, have employed this methodology uh, uh, for uh, for eons, and uh, we can learn a lot from them. Well, I, I want to say I want to say thank you, uh, thank you to your for your time to get today, and uh, I've enjoyed enjoyed this. I and I, I just want to say it, that just in general, uh, you know, oftentimes it, you you get in your own district and you feel kind of isolated there, and you've got your own set of problems, but. But you know, collaborating with you on wildfire issues over the years has been a real pleasure, um, uh, Richard. And and um, you know, we live in different communities, uh, um, but we're all California. And um, I'm heartened by the by the uh, um, the understanding and 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 the support that you've given. And 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 you know that you know if the shoe was on the other foot, we'd do the same for you. So absolutely. And of course, you know, you're always welcome in the 50th Assembly District. And you know. <laughs> How much I love your district because I'm up there uh, uh, several times a year. Yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're uh, welcome. All right, we'll see you later. Until next time. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care. Well, thank you so much, Assembly Members Wood and Bloom. That was some great insights you gave there. And to wrap up today's conversation, I had a chance to speak with the Chief of CAL FIRE, Tom Porter, about his top advice on being personally prepared for fire season and his long-term plans for CAL FIRE to slowly reduce fire season in California. Chief Porter, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing well, Shoshana, and thank you for having me here today. So before we get into our discussion of uh, wildfire prevention and preparedness, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to your role at CAL FIRE today? Sure. Um, yeah. And, and as uh, director of CAL FIRE, um, you know, state fire chief and uh, state forester, uh, it's kind of a broad uh, breadth of, of that it's brought me here. Uh, my experience um, is in timber industry before I came to the state and started working as a CAL FIRE employee, uh, CDF at the time. Um, and I came into the department as a forester. And 
um, while foresters uh, come in at not a uh, boots on the ground or um, riding on an engine or working on hand crew. Um, I did go to the fire academy and uh, developed those skills and then uh, carried on with my career that spanned both forestry and fire. Uh, I was working in Southern California for, for Cal Fire and in Southern California with Cal Fire, forestry is fire. I bet that experience as a forester really helps you prepare, especially up here in Northern California, where it seems like the trees are constantly at risk. Uh, leading from that, do, do you have any personal tips for being prepared for wildfires and maybe describe for our audience what a go bag is and maybe what you would put in one? Yeah, and I think, I think a uh, go bag would be something that everybody is going to have some different things that they're going to need to put in. But uh, for certain, uh, you're going to want anything. You're going to want uh, some amount of money, you know, your important papers and uh, important um, documents uh, for insurance purposes. Um, anything that you would have in a uh, go bag for an earthquake, you should have in your same go bag. So uh, one go bag will work for both uh, or any type of emergency, but have those things, have a certain amount of, of uh, prescription, prescription drugs that you may need, uh, an extra set of eyeglasses sometimes, hearing aids, all these things that, that we take for granted as, oh, they're just right there on my credenza. Uh, you, you really need to be prepared to have those things uh, because what we're seeing is uh, evacuations while we're um, evacuating earlier, and that's a good thing for uh, the uh, safety of the public and, and the firefighters. Um, it also uh, sometimes can be a long time away from home, and we're seeing people that are uh, away from home for sometimes several days, even weeks. Uh, my mother and father and, uh, and stepfather uh, were out of their home uh, from up in uh, Lake Almanor area in the Dixie Fire for five weeks this summer. And so while that's an uh, incredibly long time, uh, it's also something that you kind of need to think about ahead of time. Otherwise, it's hard to have all those things you need. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's That's a great point. I think I wouldn't have thought about things like eyeglasses I just assume I'll have them with me but yeah when I'm in a rush <laughs> that would be pretty awful to forget um I'm a little curious what are some of the top fire starters especially those that are human caused that maybe the average person wouldn't really think about yeah it's it's interesting and uh, every state has a little bit of a different nuance and and uh, a little bit different flavor of the numbers. Um, you know, I, I'm part of the National Association of State Foresters, and we talk uh, about every two weeks um, with the Western State Foresters, and about every month with all of the foresters. Uh, and and we find that human causes are, by and large, the highest numbers. And I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the kind of the, the common ones. But in California, human starts are uh, over 90% of the number of fires that we have on the landscape are human caused. Uh, the next biggest uh, by numbers uh, is lightning. 
And in other states that are more rural, uh, lightning is, is a bigger component. Uh, in California, it's a, a relatively small component, but uh, we can't control that. What we need to uh, understand is human cause, we can control all of them. Um, and generally, human cause fires are from uh, humans doing uh, something that accidentally starts a fire. Uh, either it's maybe doing something, uh, trying to protect themselves from fire, even weed whacking uh, at the heat of the day after two o'clock in the afternoon uh, when it's dry or when it's windy um, uh, outside of that early, early season green period where we have green grass, for instance. Um, that can start a fire very easily and one that can't be controlled. Dragging a, a, a chain that's too long on your any kind of trailer, but let's just say a boat trailer, you're going down to the river, going down to the lake, uh, you're taking your boat there uh, and your chain is too long and it's dragging and sparks uh, fire in the grass. That can happen just parking along the side of the road in deep grass uh, can start fires. Uh, some, some people say um, cigarettes out the window. Uh, and yes, that can cause a fire, but generally that's less likely than some of these other uh, active sparking kind of incidents that occur when people are doing just the things that they do outside. Um, but uh, it, all, all of that can be managed if we are smart with what we do, where we go, when we're doing it know what the fire conditions are and know that when conditions are um, hot, dry and windy in particular, uh, we need to be extra careful. Absolutely. And sort of going off of that, uh, what would what exactly is a state of emergency proclamation for fire and what does that put into action? Uh, state of emergency does a couple of things. It, it allows uh, the state to uh, start to apply for and access uh, additional funding uh, that's available both through the state programs that can provide assistance to um, local government uh, actions in, that they take in fighting or responding to and recovering from fires, uh, but in some cases also uh, down to um, the, the individual landowner level through some of the federal programs. So the, the um, state of emergency gives, uh, or proclamation of such, it gives, uh, it opens up some of those doors to funding, support, uh, and other uh, types of assistance that might be coming from federal. Uh, the other thing it does, uh, back to causes of fire. Um, I didn't mention, because it's, it's not the highest cause, but it is a, a significant cause, that's arson. And under a state of emergency, a declared state of emergency, uh, arson is, has an elevated status. And if you start a fire or you do things that could cause a start of a fire, um, you uh, may see additional fines or additional sentencing that's available through the court system. Yeah, I've noticed even in the news, there have been some recent cases that have come up in Northern California, closer to the Oregon border, I think around Shasta County. Um, yeah, where some folks were charged with arson and I believe they weren't, I don't know if they were necessarily intending to start a, a, a large fire, but I think it might've come from what 
was supposed to be a campfire. And that just goes to show how easily they get out of control. Yeah. And campfires generally don't get out of control. Um, but when we're in a state of emergency, when we're in a, a no campfire uh, zone, uh, then that fire is attributed to the person who was having the campfire. The campfire, uh, whoever started that campfire, um, is responsible. That's definitely good to keep in mind. Um, how? What's your perspective on Assembly Bill 9, as well as the budget funding this year? We are excited about where that uh, takes us in the, in the prevention uh, realm. Uh, we believe that it will um, it will help us to augment programs that we've been uh, working to build within the, the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, CAL FIRE, and it will give us uh, the um, uh, ability to really focus on those issues. Um, to finish out the, the question that you asked, um, the other elements of the of the budget. Um, the what over 1.5 million dollars worth of of funding that's coming to uh, to reducing the uh, fuels related issues, the forest health and and fuels in the forested area issues, uh, fuel breaks in and around uh, communities and fuel reduction projects, as well as prescribed fire, and then forest health management is incredible. Uh, there, there isn't another state in the union that does anything close to what we're doing here in California, uh, and it is going to make a difference for, for decades to come. So Cal Fire, as well as the local fire departments, have been working on prevention for a very long time. And aside from something like a smoky bear, uh, which I believe listeners are probably familiar with, um, what are some of the longstanding programs in existence in California. Yeah, and that's a good thing, good, uh, a good thing for people to understand. Uh, while Smoky Bear uh, as a, as a uh, entity and um, uh, effort uh, of only you can stop a wildfire, right? Mm -hmm. um, or can prevent wildfire. That, that concept still is there, and, and we need to continue to use that as what I was talking about previously, prevention of wildfires. But there are other things as well. Nationally, One Less Spark. One Less Spark is a campaign of just what I was talking about previously. Boat chains, grinders, whatever you, know, you have, you, the human, have uh, the ability to stop every spark that might come from your activities. And that is going to prevent fires uh, from happening in those, in those more critical times. Um, so those are, those are kind of those broader uh, prevention messaging campaigns, uh, but there are also fire safe councils. Uh, that's a program uh, that every community can embrace and, and really develop grassroots at the, the very uh, lo most local level to uh, develop plans to protect communities, uh, reduce the potential for fires to start uh, and spread out of communities, uh, to work on home hardening uh, and defensible space, uh, and then those fuel reduction projects in and around uh, the, the communities themselves. And then if anybody wants uh, kind of the do-it-yourself guides, 
uh, to these kind of things. Um, uh, the uh, California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, uh, our, our website, and then our affiliated uh, website that also has an app associated with it, readyforwildfire.org or the Ready for Wildfire app. Um, that will give you a lot of information of what you can do and programmatically what you can do to reduce your, your home ignition, meaning harden your home, defensible space, and then those other elements I talked about. Those resources are wonderful. I hope our listeners take advantage of them. And I think the idea of a fire council is so amazing, like reaching out to the community and pulling together in this effort, because it really is on top of individuals. To, it's a community effort to spread fire safety. So, um, and in terms of maybe thinking about things like climate change, are there very long-term initiatives that Cal Fire has in place now or plans to enact in the future? Yeah, I, I love this question because um, we're so, uh, our condition, our human condition and our culture is so much about what can we do right now to fix it tomorrow. Um, and ultimately, this problem is not going to be fixed tomorrow. And we can, we can point back uh, to 100, 150 years ago and say, we're at this point because of what happened over the last 100, 150 years. But that doesn't change the fact that we can make change today that will need to be sustained for decades, but we can make change today that will get us to a better place 10, 20, 50, 100 years from today. And as, as, a, as a forester, I'm, I'm rarely thinking in timelines when I'm talking about big subjects that are less than 50 years, and I'm usually looking at 50 and 100 years out. And everything that the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection is doing is trying to chart a path forward that will take this initial investment of a billion and a half dollars uh, and work toward a healthier system that can live with and uh, sustain and be resilient in, in the future with continuous wildfires occurring all, all along. So all of what we're trying to do is, is build that. And then the other piece um, that we haven't really talked about uh, here is also increasing uh, to a, a baseline level and then moving to the future, uh, our uh, fire apparatus, firefighter, uh, and fire um, fighting uh, aircraft needs to meet that that journey into the future because we need to, we need to raise the bar on all of those elements and uh, that's what we're trying to do that's what the Department of Forestry and Fire Protection is here uh, to ensure that we're looking at all of those elements moving forward. Yeah, that's excellent. I, I'm glad you have that future perspective and planning there. I think you're absolutely right. There's no way to fix it tomorrow, but 50 years from now, we could, we, I'd like to see California still standing. Yes. <laughs> essentially. Me too. Um, <laughs> before we, up, uh, we wrap up here today, do you have any closing thoughts you would like to leave with our listeners? Sure. And your listeners, I'm sure are very in tune with the subject of, of wildfire. 
Um, but I've said I've said something a couple of times in, in the recent past that that I think are worth repeating. And that is that I, I and I've been all over the state. I've worked in every corner of the state um, from the Mexican border to Oregon, even in Oregon and Washington state. And I firmly believe uh, at this point in my career, I've been saying it for years, but I firmly believe that there every single acre in California can and will burn someday. And every single Californian needs to be aware of that and be prepared for it. Yes, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate all the amazing insight you gave for sure. Thank you for the great questions. Our thanks to Cal Fire's chief, Tom Porter, for being part of the episode. And of course, to you, Shoshana, for putting this episode together. And a big thank you to Assembly Members Wood and Bloom. It was great to have you on. And as we're finishing up here, I'm hoping that our now year-round fire season can be shrunk down once again so we can preserve our beautiful state. That's Shoshana Levy. I'm Don Andrews. Thanks to all of you for listening to Look West. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcast. This is Look West. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. When you think of Californian politics, remember to look west.